going to get started this morning. Uh, we left off last week with a, uh, the title of last week was A Better Grace. Jesus brought better grace than that was found in the law of Moses. We left off in John chapter 1 verse 18 uh, and consequently 16 through 18 it says, and his full of his fullness we have received grace for grace for the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ no man hath seen God at any time the only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father he hath declared him and we seen last week that this grace that was given in the old testament through Moses and the law was a grace from God. It was God's grace not to destroy people, but give them a law that they were supposed to follow, even though they didn't. Amen? But now we have a greater grace in Christ Jesus that is apart from the law, that is separate from the law. We are saved by grace and not works. Amen? So we have to understand this new grace that we're standing in. Amen? And then it came by Jesus Christ, who is full of grace, and truth amen amen so this week i titled this week's message as we move on from the prologue finally after seven weeks preach seven weeks on 18 verses just in case new people want to know preach seven weeks on 18 verses we're finally out of the prologue and now we're here where john the baptist ministry is about to begin and we're going to look at the importance of why john came the, the purpose of John's ministry, the meaning behind it, and what he was saying when he was in the wilderness. Amen? So we're going to begin at verse 19, and we're going to read through verse 34 this morning. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou a prophet? And he answered, No. Then he said unto them, what, Who art thou? That we may go give answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As said the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. And they which were sent were the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptize thou then, if thou be not the Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them and said, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you, whom you know not. He it is who come after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latches I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethsaida beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, before, because he was before me. And I know him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. 
Therefore, I am come to baptize with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and abode on him. And I knew not him, but he, he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou seest the Spirit descend and remain on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I, and I saw and bore record that this is the Son of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom and understanding in reading your word. God, we ask that you would set in our hearts your word, that you would teach us with your spirit, that you would bring understanding to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that would receive this message this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now we have the beginnings of John the Baptist's witness of Christ, the cousin of the Lord, the forerunner of God, he who was to prepare the way for the Lord and our Lord's earthly ministry. Let us hear clearly this witness, this voice crying in the wilderness and pay heed to his saying. Notice that when he came and he actually spoke of Christ, he said, this is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. I'm just giving you a little nugget before I get there because I'm going to start back at verse 19. But this is the gospel in a nutshell. John is giving you the gospel in a nutshell. He gives you the reason of Jesus' coming before even Jesus himself gives the reason. Amen? Jesus doesn't necessarily give his reason until chapter 3 of the epistle, the book of John, where he, where he talks about the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but he came in the world that the world might be saved through him. Amen? So here we see John coming out of the wilderness. And when we start in verse 19, I asked a couple questions, and I want to read this just quickly out of the ESV because it's a little more clear. Plain English, modern English. He says, and this is the testimony of, the, of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And this is the question that we're going to ask today. Who is John? What is John all about? What is, why is John here? Because they continue a discourse of asking John about himself. And there had to be an actual meaning behind them saying, who are you? And him saying, well, I'm not the Christ. Amen? So we're going to get into that just a little bit. Who is John? First, he was sent by God. Notice in the prologue that we have already read back in verse 6 of John 1, it says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So John the apostle is telling you that John the Baptist was sent from God with a purpose. Amen? He came to bear witness of the light, John 1 and 7. According to Luke, 
John the Baptist had received the word of God and it came to him in the wilderness and he began, he began to proclaim a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Let's turn to Luke chapter 3. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 3 and we're going to read very briefly. Everybody said amen. Anytime I do anything behind a microphone briefly, that ought to be taken amen. Amen? Come on. Yeah, we're not done yet. Now, we're going to start at verse 2. It says, During the priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming and baptizing, uh, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Now watch this. I want you to pay careful attention to Luke. He says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places will become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now this is a prophecy that we're going to talk about in a moment, <coughs> but we here see in uh, John or Luke 3, and or Luke 2 actually, that John is in the wilderness already. And the word of God comes to him. And he begins to proclaim a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Why? Because this was prophesied in this verse. He was making straight the way of the Lord. He was bringing Israel back to repentance. He was bringing Israel who had wandered off back to repentance. That was his whole purpose of coming to prepare the way for Christ. Amen. So John here in Luke 3 is preparing the way for the Lord. Now I want to, uh, we're going to talk about that prophecy in a minute, but I want you to file it away. Think of this. You can even put this verse in memory. Isaiah 40 chapter 3. This is the prophecy, and we're going to go read it later because it's going to apply to a question that they ask him here in a minute. But before we move on to the question of who John is, we're going to ask another question. We're going to ask, who are these Jews? Amen? Who are these Jews? Well, you're like, well, it says right here, it says these Jews sent Pharisees, right? They, it says they, they sent priests and Levites and then in verse uh, 24 it says that they're Pharisees right well let's understand when he says the Jews sent them okay you gotta understand John's a Jew right so he's making a distinction not about the people's nationality but the opposition that they had to his own savior you got to realize John's writing this after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. John is writing this book when he is 70, 75 years old, 80 years old. 
he's writing it well after this, and he's giving you all this information, okay? The information that he's giving you here about the Jews is he's speaking of a specific group of people. And I want to read a note here so that you can get what I'm saying. <clears throat> the Jews is an expression used in 68 different times in the Gospel of John by the Apostle John, the Jews. He uses it far more than any other biblical writer in the New Testament. This is often or sometimes used as a neutral saying such as in John 2 and verse 6 or a positive statement as in John 4 and 22. But more often than not, it refers to hostile Jewish opponents of Jesus, the, uh, the Jewish leaders, and the ordinary people who followed them. The phrase does not usually mean all of the Jews, for Jesus and John the Baptist were also Jews. Amen? So we have to understand why he's making the distinction, the Jews sent him. This is meaning unbelieving Jews, meaning they did not believe Christ was the apostle, first of all, or the, the Messiah, first of all, and they did not believe that John the Baptist was a prophet. That's why they came questioning him. Otherwise, they would have believed, right? So this set of Jewish leaders is comprised of priests, and Levites and Pharisees. Now, what do we know about priests and Levites and Pharisees? What do we know about them? They are strict on the ordinance of the law. Amen? This is the opposition. Amen? And we see this opposition throughout the entire New Testament. In the church, Paul goes from one Greek city to the next Greek city to the next Greek city. And what follows him there? The Jews. So when it says the Jews, it's not talking about Messianic Jews who believe that Jesus is the Christ. It's talking about Jews who reject Christ. Jews who reject the Messiah. Those are who we're talking about. Amen? So in understanding that, we understand that they're coming with a whole laundry list of expectations of who John could be. Amen? Now the question of who are you makes more sense to me because they're coming at it from a thoroughly ingrained, indoctrinated, old covenant understanding of Scripture that they are looking for this king, this coming one. Amen? They begin to question him. Who are you? This is a question that they will later ask Christ. The same Jews. When John writes about it later, he says, and the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees would ask him, who are you? See, this is a question that unbelievers ask all the time. 
but that believers have no problem answering. Amen. Believers understand who Christ is. Those who have tasted of the free gift of God, those who have submitted and said yes to God, who have been bought by His Spirit, who have been drawn by the Father and awakened by the Holy Spirit in their heart, they can say He's God. It's very telling when people start going, well, who is Jesus? Well, who is Jesus? That's not a believing question. It's a question of unbelief. It's a question that says, I don't know, and I maybe they do. Maybe inside God is working on them, and they do want to know. But more often than not, what they're really saying is, I want to know what you're saying so I can use it against you. And that's why they're asking John these questions, so that they can use it against him. And eventually they do, and they behead him. Amen? Now, he confesses, verse 20, he confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, let's get a strict understanding of this Greek word, Christ, amen. It's the only word in Greek that they could translate the Hebrew word, Messiah, amen. This is the only word that was even close to the word Messiah, amen. The Jewish word that would be put here, if we were writing it in Greek, would not be Christos, it would be Messiah or Mahashiach or however you say Hamashiach or however you pronounce that okay you can go learn Greek or Hebrew and tell me how to do it better okay but it's in, in Hebrew his name is Yeshua Hamashiach Jesus the Messiah amen in Latin it's what Jesus Christos okay that's the understanding that we have to have so Christ is Messiah Amen. It's not two different words. It means the exact same thing. Amen. So when you have people, and you will, people say, well, he ain't the Christ. That's not even the right word. It's supposed to be Messiah. Christ means Messiah. That's exactly the terminology that we use in the Greek for the New Testament. And if anybody wants to argue with you about the New Testament being written in Hebrew, it never was until after it was written in Greek. It was translated from the Greek back into Hebrew. It was never originally written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek. All the historical evidence points to that, period. End of story. There is not one document of a Hebrew New Testament that predates New Testament Greek manuscripts that we have. Anywhere. Amen? So let's just put that to rest. The New Testament was written in Greek. So when they say Christ, we are reading it as it is and as it was written, but understanding it means Messiah. Amen? Amen. Now that we're done with this great, you know, language history lesson, let's move on. The first, uh, first century Palestine was rife with messianic figures there was all kinds of people claiming to be messiah or that people thought were the messiah so when they ask him who are you and john says plainly i'm not the christ he's laying aside first of all knowing that the christ is to come after him knowing that he had received the word of the lord in the wilderness to proclaim the baptism of repentance meaning he understood that he was preparing the way for the Lord, he had no problem saying, hey, I'm not the Christ. 
Amen? And there was probably quite a few of John's disciples who may have thought he may have been the Christ. Amen? There may have been some confusion, which is why the Pharisees were asking him, Hey, I mean, some of your people say you're the Christ, some people say you're not. Who are you? Amen? I want to read another note real quick. I like reading some notes. You guys like when I read notes, right? Yeah, right. <clears throat> the Christ refers to the coming greater son of David that was predicted in the Old Testament. For reference, you can go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11 through 16, and Hosea 3, verse 5. Amen? So we understand that the Christ or the Messiah was prophesied to come. Amen? Now, how he was to come is not as clear as some people make it out to be, okay? Because it was, there was a lot of confusion about what the Christ would be like, who he would be, where, amen? They knew for a fact where he was going to be born, right? Bethlehem, right? They knew that he would come from Bethlehem, which is why when Jesus moved, it confused them, Right? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. You're, you're from Nazareth. You're from Galilee. Well, you can't be the Messiah. But they weren't going far enough back into his history to understand that he was born in Bethlehem. Amen? Right where the Messiah was supposed to be born. Amen? Now, they ask him two other questions. And this is where we're going to get to Isaiah's prophecy. Because they asked him two other questions. They said, are you Elias? Now, that's Elijah in regular English, okay? King James, they translated that from the Latin and into English, and it was a weird translation the way they did it. They were trying to leave out vowel or uh, consonants because the Hebrew doesn't have a J, right? you, know, you got to understand Elias is Elijah, Okay. Or in Hebrew, it would be Aliyah or Elias. Okay? So they're trying to spell it their way. In Hebrew, it would have been with a Y in the middle of all that. Okay? It would have been. Where the J is would have been a Y. Okay? Understanding that also, that's why Jesus' name in English is Jesus, but in Hebrew is Yeshua. Because there's not a J in the Hebrew language. Amen? <clears throat> now, they said, are you Elijah or are you a prophet? Now, they don't ask him if he's just a prophet. Watch what they say. Verse 21, they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Question mark. He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? The prophet. Because there was a prophet or the prophet was going to come before Christ came. Amen. Now, John denies being either Elijah or the prophet. Watch. He says, are you the prophet? He answered, no. Now, right here, people go, well, you know, maybe, may, you know, why is John saying no? Because later on, you'll read Jesus says that he is a prophet. Matthew chapter 11 says that there has, what did they go out to the wilderness to see? A prophet? He said, greater than a prophet. He said, there's not been a man born among women who would be greater than John the Baptist. 
And he said, if you're willing, he is Elijah that was to come. Now, I'm just going to take a leap of faith in here and understand that maybe John didn't realize that he was fulfilling this prophecy. Maybe John wasn't, maybe John didn't understand the, the gravity of what he was doing and understand that he himself was fulfilling a prophecy, even though Christ later on says that John was a prophet. Not only a prophet, but that he was Elijah who was to come. Amen? Some people go, well, you see, the Bible's lying there. It contradicts itself. No. John said, I'm not. John just says what? What does John say? Let's look at what John says. John says this. He said, are you, they answered, uh, they asked, are you a prophet? He said, no. And they said unto him, who are you then? We have to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Now he's right here, quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. So let's turn to Isaiah 40 so that we can get context for what John is quoting, okay? And it might be worth mentioning that in Luke, or in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus quotes another Old Testament verse, and we're going to go look at it too. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. I'm going to start at verse 1. <clears throat> Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, and her welfare is ended. That her welfare, warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Now watch this. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the deserted highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. And the, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This right here is the prophecy. And the Old Testament Hebrews understood this was a prophecy of the coming of renewal of Israel into God's graces in his good grace where he was going to pardon their iniquity where he was going to forgive their sin and Jesus is the fulfillment of not only their forgiveness but the forgiveness of all mankind amen to all who believe amen so we understand in Jesus's coming that John had to preach and prepare the way for the Messiah. Let's go to Matthew 11. I want to show you this verse that Luke or that uh, Jesus quotes. Go to Matthew 11. Okay. Now watch this. Verse 9. What, did you, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face 
who will prepare your way before you. Now, what is he quoting here? What verse could he possibly be mentioning? I'm going to turn my Bible back to uh, John 1, and I'm going to show you. <clears throat> Where'd my verse go? Huh? This is what happens when you don't mark all your pages, okay? Just to let you know, Kyle. I got you. I got you. <clears throat> I'm looking at another verse real quick, and I'll tell you when I get there. Go to, excuse me, go to Matthew 3. Matthew 3 This is what I wanted to This is what I wanted to show you Matthew 3 Not Malachi Matthew Matthew 3 John the Baptist Quotes this Verse Himself in Matthew the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And I want to take you again to another Old Testament verse. But Jesus is referring to Malachi. Go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. If I can get my Bible to turn there, I will too. Now, this is the quote that Jesus is quoting in Luke or in um, Matthew chapter eleven. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. Of hosts. Now it could take you back to Luke in the very cha uh, Luke chapter 1 or 2. Let's go back to Luke. I believe it is 1. Zechariah and John the Baptist's birth being foretold. I want you to notice this. Luke chapter 1 verse 5 In the days of Herod the king of Judea There was a priest named Zechariah Of the division of Abijah And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron And her name was Elizabeth And they were both righteous before God Walking blameless in all the commandments And the statutes of the Lord But they had no children Because Elizabeth was barren And both were Advanced in years. Now, while they were serving as now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the multitude of the people were praying outside of the temple at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right hand at the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Do not be afraid. Now I want to stop right here. This is something that happens every time we see angels, right? We talked about this before. Here again, an angel shows up 
in the temple of God, standing, by high, uh, standing on the right hand of the altar of incense. And angels don't look like fat, naked angel babies on clouds. They don't look like sweet, innocent little young men walking around with, you know, loincloths and swords. They're terrifying creatures. They got four faces, eyes all over them, six wings. I mean, scary. Like, I, I understand why Zachariah was struck with fear. Amen. You seen one, you do the same thing. Amen. Now, notice he says, don't be afraid. Every time an angel shows up, that's what they say. Don't fear. Why? Because they look terrifying, okay? Right. But the angel said unto him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will, get, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he it will be great before the Lord. He must not drink any wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now watch this. And he will turn many of his uh, children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the Lord a people prepared. Now notice the wording that the angel is giving Zechariah. He's telling him in no uncertain terms, your son is preparing the way for the people to receive the Lord. Amen. Now watch this. We're going to go back. So we see uh, in John 1, we're going to go back there. John 1, he asks him, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And he says, no. And then they're like, well, who are you? Because I got to go back to these Jews. Okay, notice that the Jews sent the priests, the Levites, and the Pharisees, right? And they're like, hey, we got to go back to these people and tell them something. So tell us who you are. And he quotes Isaiah. That a voice crying in the wilderness. So John, in his own understanding, is just a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Amen. So he's calling Israel to repentance. Getting Israel ready to understand what the Messiah is about to do for them. Amen. So we're going to keep going before I put everybody to sleep. <laughs> Again, they ask him in verse 22, who are you? We need an answer for those who have sent us. Verse 23, he says, uh, he answers their question by, by quoting from Isaiah 40 and 3. Verse 24 through 28, they ask another question. Uh, they, they question his authority to even baptize and point and John himself points to the Messiah. Let's look at verse 24 through 28. Watch what it says. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then who are you? Uh, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Now they're questioning why he even thinks he has a, the authority to baptize for the forgiveness of sin. Right? Why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet? Why are you baptizing? 
John totally ignores the question. Does not answer it. Doesn't even approach it. He's just like, you guys are just blind. You're still not seeing, right? This is the idea that everybody who comes to God with some of the most ridiculous questions about God, it's just because they're stuck there, okay? It's not their fault. They're stuck right there, amen? And until God opens their eyes, they're going to be stuck there, amen? The reality is there's all kinds of people out there right now, and every one of us outside of Christ were the same way. We were blind to what Christ did for us. We were blind to what Christ's real motives were. We were blind to why God would do this and why God would do that. Amen? There's so much peace in understanding the sovereignty of God, that God is in control of all things, then me as a Christian doesn't have to go, why God this and why God that? Because God does whatever God pleases to do. And he doesn't, he doesn't come down and say, hey, Bryant, what do you think I ought to do? Or, or hey, Kyle, I got this good idea, but I wanted to run it by you. He doesn't do that. Why? Because he's God and he's in control. Once we understand that all of this happening was God's plan, every bit of it, from the birth of Christ to the death of Christ to the resurrection of Christ to the sending of the Holy Spirit to the New Testament church to the goings-on in America right now, God is sovereignly working out His will. Amen? And we don't always agree. Well, God, why are you allowing that to happen? Why are you allowing that to happen? Why do you allow that to happen? God has his reasons. And he doesn't have to qualify them to you. He doesn't have to go, well, this is why I'm doing it. And this is why I'm doing it. Amen? You're, now I'm going to say this as nicely as I can, but you are a sinful lump of dirt suit. Okay? You're just a bunch of, you're a dirt soup in a dirt suit that has no right to look at the potter and say, why are you doing this? Amen? The reality is, is God's in control. He's the potter. I'm the clay. And he'll make with me whatever he pleases. Amen? But we have people that ask those questions all the time. Well, why are you doing this? And why do you do that? There's all kinds of people that don't understand why we gather on Sundays. and They don't understand why we read scripture. And they don't understand why we have fellowship dinner. And they don't understand why. Why do you do that? Because this is part of my understanding of what Christ told us to do. Amen? But you have to have the beginning right. Or you're not going to get the end right. And you're definitely going to still walk around with questions. Of why God, why God, why God. Amen. Christ answers the why God. Amen. Christ is the answer to the ultimate why God. Why would God allow sin to enter the world? Well, here's the answer. So God can be glorified and show his glory and the goodness of his grace in Christ. That's what scripture says. Amen. Paul's own words that he let sin, he passed over sin for a time that he might demonstrate the glory of his grace in this present age. That's what the Bible says. 
Now, we don't agree with that. We're like, all that, all that pain, all that suffering that went on in there. Why did God do that? Because he has a plan. And it's not your plan, and that's why you're mad. Amen? That's really what it comes down to. We're mad when it's not our plan. We're mad when we're the ones that's not in control, right? And I get upset when it's not my choice. You know, like when you're in a boardroom, and I know some of you have been in, in, in corporations, and you've been in boardrooms, or you've been in church boardrooms where, where, where somebody's idea is out on the table, and then somebody else has probably a better idea, right? An idea that might cost less money, an idea that might take less uh, 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 effort, and it will be a whole lot simpler. But the person who had the first idea is going to be upset because their idea didn't get picked. Amen? That's us. Because <laughs> God's ways are always good. Amen? Number one, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. So when we don't get our way and we think God did something wrong, we get upset. That's what happens. Amen? I'm going to get to the gospel in a minute. We're preaching it right now. You just don't realize it. Preparing it, right? Preparing the way, right? The idea that these Pharisees just didn't see the truth of who John was. Amen? So John totally ignores their question. Watch as John answered and says, I baptize you with water. But among you stands one who you don't know. Even he who comes after me, the straps of his sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan. Now watch this. John the Apostle put this in here for a reason. He's telling you unequivocally that John is saying there's the Messiah was in their midst and they did not know it. Amen? This is a fulfillment of Jesus' whole life and ministry. He came unto his own and his own did not receive him. Remember in the prologue? Remember back about four or five verses where it says that? He came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. But unto them who did receive him, he gave them the power to become the sons of God. Amen? He come to them, and they didn't know him. This is the gospel. We're preaching the gospel, just reading the story of John's ministry. Do you see this? This is how, first of all, for all those people who say, you know, back when we read in the book of Acts where the Pharisees said, you know, John and Peter were unlearned. Obviously, John in his elder years got a little bit skilled at writing. Amen? Come on, let's just be real. John wrote this. And we're reading what he wrote, and he put it in here for a reason. Amen? What's the whole reason behind the book of John? Let's remember it. John chapter 21, verse 30, or 31, or 30 and 31. I write these things unto you that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you might have life through his name. That's the whole purpose of the book of John. So we're seeing it even in his telling of the Baptist's witness. Amen? He answers their question by quoting Isaiah 40 and 30. They question him on his authority to even baptize, and he points to the Messiah and ignores their question completely. Here John points to Christ as the Lamb of God, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is surely the gospel in a nutshell. This is surely the, the absolute reason that Jesus came. Remember Jesus' own words? I came to seek and to save that which is lost, right? Or the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Amen? Jesus said uh, that the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen? So the purpose of Christ's coming was for the very atonement to be the, sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb of God that would take away the sins of those who believe in him. Amen? Let's understand that Jesus saying and John saying takes away the sin of the world, we're not teaching that everybody's going to heaven. Okay, that is not found in scripture. If you read any part of the New Testament with open eyes, you're going to see very quickly that people are going to split hell wide open for rejecting Christ. That's it. Amen. It's going to happen. The end of Revelation, you know, Revelation 20, the white throne judgment, people being thrown into the lake of fire. Let's be honest. Amen. So when we understand that, we understand when he's saying the sins of the whole world, he's qualifying that with those who believe. Amen. And we can also further qualify that with those who the father calls, because the reality is that no one comes to the Son except the Father draws them. John chapter 6 verse 44. Amen. No one comes to me except the Father draws them. Amen. So every person that has ever placed faith in Christ did so by the drawing of the Father, by the unction of the Father, by the will of God. We know this because the prologue says this. And I want to repeat this because it's very important that we get that this understanding is not something new. Amen. <clears throat> Let me find my spot. The true light. John 1 9. The true light gives light to everyone who comes into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, gave you the right to become the children of God. Now watch this. Who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. Period. No one who ever believes in Christ did it on their own. Not ever. Never happens. The will of God must work in the human heart before anyone says, yes, won't happen. Why? Because I'm dead in my trespasses and my sins. I'm an alien from God. I'm an enemy of God, Romans says, right? Amen. Come on, let's be real about this. So the gospel is that God came to save me. God did not come to make a way for you to save yourself. That's not what scripture teaches. God didn't make a way for you to somehow save yourself. God made a way so that you can be saved. Amen. And he is the one that does the saving. Amen. Lastly, I want to read one more little note. I, I, I like my little notes every once in a while. John 1.29, I have a note 
Regarding the next day, Jesus, by his sacrifice, fulfills the symbolic meaning of the Passover lamb and the other Old Testament sacrifices in Leviticus. The deliverance through the blood of the lamb prefigures the coming of Jesus as the lamb of God. What does that mean? The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, where they were killing the sacrificed lamb was all a picture. It was all meant to teach them that the Messiah would come and give his life for their sins. Lastly, this surely is the gospel in a nutshell. Here, delivered by the Baptist, and this morning brought to you by another Baptist. That's a joke. You can laugh. It's okay. <laughs> the message brought by the Baptist was, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And this morning I'm telling you that there is no other name under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What He did Romans chapter, not Romans, 1 Corinthians 15. Is it 1st or 2nd? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. The gospel is this, that Jesus came and lived and died according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law for me. And what happens when I place faith in Christ, when God moves upon my heart, what happens is God takes the stony heart that was in me and puts in a heart of flesh. And I'm born again and I'm made into a new creature. I'm not the same as I was. Amen. But it's by the will of God. We have so many people trying to attain Salvation on their own. Not understanding that you're never going to get there by yourself. Not ever. It just doesn't happen. And so often nowadays because of the way the gospel has been perverted. We have people running after signs. Or wealth. Or health. And all they really want is a miracle. They don't want Christ. The realities, Jesus looked at them and rebuked those people that came to him after he fed the 5,000 and they followed him across the sea. He said, you only came because you ate the bread and you ate the fish. He said, you're only coming so that I can give you lunch. You're not coming because you want to know me and then you want to follow me. Now, here's another qualifier on the gospel, and I know that it's going to be shocking to some of you. But Jesus said, if any man wants to follow me, he must lay down his life, take up his cross, and follow me. Or he's not worthy of me. Amen? The realities of the gospel is that the true born-again experience produces change. That's why when Paul says we're justified by faith alone, but James says... You're not justified by faith if your faith doesn't produce results. 
What does it mean results? My faith doesn't produce works. What does that mean? That means a faith that doesn't produce a change in you is not genuine saving faith. Genuine saving faith in Christ. This is Romans 10, verse 13. I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth. Not just confess with my mouth, believe in my heart. There's a qualifier. And all who call on God this way, Romans 10, 13 says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And people go, well, that's, that doesn't say exactly what you're saying. You got to understand what he says when he says all who call upon the name of the Lord. You understand Jesus came to save me from my sin. Jesus' name means Yahshua or Yahshua means God is salvation. So I'm believing on his name to save me. I'm not believing in my works. I'm not believing in my goodness. I'm not believing in my righteousness. I'm not believing in my holiness because I don't have any. And even all of my good works to God look like filthy rags. And the reality is without his help, without his hand, without his will working in me, I would not be born again. Amen? So this morning... As we think about this significance of John's ministry, we understand John. Uh, there was one more point that I wanted to bring out. I closed my Bible too soon. I wanted to show you this really quickly. And you may, you may still get it in the King James. A little easier to see in the ESV, but I'm going to show you anyway. I want you to notice this. The next day he saw Jesus coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. This is him of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose came I baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now watch this. This was the second and most important reason of John's ministry. Now people get confused about this where he says, I didn't know him. Obviously, John knew who Jesus was, meaning that he was Jesus, his cousin. Amen. Because John the Baptist and Jesus are cousins. John's six months older than Jesus. But John knew Jesus as in, he's my cousin. That's Jesus, Joseph and Mary's son, right? But John didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah until he saw the Spirit come upon him and rest on him. Now watch this. Let's read the rest of this and I'll show you. I myself did not know him for this purpose. I came baptizing that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend, on, uh, descend from heaven like a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me baptizing with water said to me, He on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John didn't know who Jesus was until he saw the sign of the Holy Spirit come on Jesus like a dove at his baptism. Remember that? And then he heard that voice. Mark, Luke, John, or Mark, Luke, and Matthew record the voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Amen. John is here. Stating the reason I started baptizing was so that the Messiah would be revealed. 
Amen. So why did John's ministry, was it so important? Number one, he was preparing the way of the Lord. Number two, he was supposed to be baptizing so that he could show and be there and bear witness to the sign that the Messiah was among them. Amen. And I want you to know that John's voice, John's testimony still bears witness today. And the very last verse says, and I seen and bore witness of these things that Jesus or that he is the son of God. Amen. Let's pray. Stand if you will. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your son who loved us and gave himself for us. And Father God, I ask that today as we brought this message, God, as we listened to it, as we learned from it, God, I pray that if there be any in this room or that are watching on Facebook or will listen to the podcast, God, who don't know you, God, that this message, you would use it, God, to convict them, to draw them, God, that your spirit would move on their heart, that they would see the truth of who Jesus is. That they would bear witness like John did that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. God, and if there's anyone that didn't know you, I pray, God, that this message, you would use it so that, that it would convict them that they would come to faith in Christ. Lord, and for all of us who do believe in you and follow you and trust in you, let us follow you with a renewed vigor and understanding, God, that there is even purpose in you sending us out. You sent us out. You said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, the good news. And God, let our lives be a testimony of that. Let us be steadfast and immovable in our faith and our hope in you. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the food that we're about to receive here as we go into fellowship dinner. And I pray, God, that if there's any hinder here who have a, a need, a, a, a problem, a heartache, God, that they would leave it at your feet and that they would take upon them your yoke because it is easy and your burden is light. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you.